Uh, really exciting things going on there, and you know we're excited to, you know, as these things continue to, to come along. Um, so I wanted to share kind of uh, a little bit of of this. You know, a couple weeks ago I went to Guatemala for a week, and uh, kind of wanted to share some of the my takeaway of that trip. And it wasn't quite probably like what they were doing. You know, they were really going to support. We went. Um, there were six churches represented from the Nashville area, and then there were six churches represented from the Guatemala City area. And so basically what we did is we met with these individual churches each day. We met with individual pastors and stood and talked to them and asked them questions and asked them needs and things like that. And then the hopes is to create these one-to-one partnerships, just like how we have this this partnership with Chosen School that we support it, that 24 Church supports Chosen School, and that maybe in hopes that 24 Church will also support uh, one of these churches in Guatemala City and have opportunities for you all to be able to go and be a part of uh, supporting the pastors, the missionaries that are on the ground, um, and serving the people of Guatemala City to allow for more opportunities for their the local church in Guatemala City to be able to share the gospel with its community. Um, I, I want to share a story, and it's going to kind of tie in to the sermon today. So while we were there, it was kind of the last day, Thursday night. We always did a debriefing every day of like everything that we talked about, um, opportunities to serve, and how to do things. And so it was Thursday night. We're leaving early, or we're planned on leaving early Friday morning, but so we're kind of debriefing, and Gary, who is the, uh, Gary Udy was his name, and he's the missionary that had been on the ground for 20-some years in Guatemala, and he'd been in Panama, and he'd been in a few other Latin American countries, and uh, as he's there, he pulls this man, um, this Guatemalan man, into the room where we're, where we're meeting at, and he says, I want to introduce you to this man and I can't remember his name, uh, he says his sons are, the, are the, the maintenance men and the custodians here at the seminary where we were staying at. And they're the ones who take care of everything. They take out the trash. They clean the tables. They, they do everything to keep the seminary running smooth where these teachers are able to teach and not have to worry about the things. And so basically he was in town because it was his birthday. And his, they were going to do a party uh, he was a missionary, and they were going to do a party at the, the seminary, and he wanted to be with his family and stuff like that. And this guy, he was a missionary to the Quiche people, which is kind of in the, the jungle, the rainforest area, the Mayans. These are direct, the Quiche are direct descendants of the Mayans. Like, they wear the colorful garb. They look just like, you know, the, the, the paintings that you see, like at Mexican restaurants and stuff like that. Like, they literally look, they wore that, that native that native headdresses and clothing and things like that. And uh, it's kind of funny, the, the Quiche means uh, many trees, and it's these people, and they live in the jungle. Um, and so he's standing there, and he starts getting emotional. It's like, okay, this hadn't really been, this hadn't been like a mission trip where we go and like God's revealing all these things, so we thought. Um, and then all of a sudden, he's like, you know, 10 years ago, I got the opportunity to speak to these Quiche missionaries, these men that were called directly to this people group. And he says there was about 15 of these men sitting in a little room, and he had chairs, and he's standing up on the stage, and he's speaking to them. 
And then he gets to the end of it, and he's like, let's pray. Like, like, let's close in prayer. And so he bows his head, and he closes his eyes, and he hears this kind of this commotion out in the audience a little bit with these 15 men. And so he kind of looks up as he does that, and he sees all these men turned around, bowing, like in their seats, kneeling at their seats and praying. And he's like, okay. And so he starts to pray, he says, and he, you know, he's got his eyes open because he's just kind of observing, kind of like what I was talking about today. He was observing these, these men and the posture that they had towards God. And he makes this observation and he says, and I looked at the bottom of their shoes. And he said, every single one of them had holes in the bottom of their shoes, worn out. And it wasn't necessarily a monetary thing that they couldn't buy more shoes. It's that these men walk six to eight miles every day through the jungle. There's no roads, these little paths, and they walk up into the jungle to preach to these people. To preach the gospel to these indigenous people And they were so willing to put themselves in such physical harm and discomfort for these people to have the opportunity to reach eternity. And see, and they did it because it was first done to them. They were first saved, and so they want to share this message that saved them with all people. And so that was kind of like this major takeaway moment of thinking, man, these guys are so willing to be uncomfortable physically and have so little just to reach these people. Um, And so that will all kind of tie, hopefully, together towards the end. For you note-taking people, we have got five points, and we're going to try to get through these five points. And so if you're writing things down, and I hope you can find this useful to your everyday life, because that's what the mission is a part of our everyday life. I also pray that it's convicting, as it's convicted me this week, um, since Tuesday at least, um, since when I found out I was preaching. Um, as reading through these things and God kind of revealing these moments like, oh. Um, and I hope that you all see that we're all called to mission. We're all called to the same thing. The avenues in which we get there might look different, but we're all called to the same thing. And so the first thing that we ever want to understand as we talk about mission, what we need to figure out is what is our mission. Before we know where and who and how and why, we have to know what is it. A pastor named Trevin Wax, he defines the mission of the church in this statement. The church is a sign and an instrument of the kingdom of God, a people united by faith in the gospel announcement of the crucified and risen King Jesus. The mission of the church is to go into the world in the power of the Spirit and make disciples by proclaiming the gospel, calling people to respond in ongoing repentance and faith and demonstrating the truth and power of the gospel by living under the lordship of Christ for the glory of God and for the good of the world. And so we want to break this statement down just a little bit. The second sentence in there says that we are a people united by faith in the gospel announcement of the crucified and risen King Jesus. Jesus, that's the gospel. That's the good news. 
that we become a united people under this blood of Jesus. And so the first statement says that it makes us a couple things. The church, it makes us a couple things. You and I, this church, the global church, it makes us a couple things. One, it's a sign of a kingdom of God, of the kingdom of God. It makes us a sign, or we could say a signpost. You know, signs point to something else. Turn right on exit 24, there's a new Hardy's coming. Yes. It's a signpost, it's a glimpse of something better to come. The church is a glimpse of something better to come. So I heard this guy use this analogy one time. He says, we decide to go on vacation to Disney World and we take off driving towards Orlando, we rent our 15-passenger van, and it's going to be the greatest vacation ever. Twelve hours later, we get to the entrance of Disney World, and there's a sign that says, Disney World, just ahead. As anxieties and anticipation of riding the rides and seeing the seven dwarfs rise, we get out of the van, we go and we stand at the sign, and we get, our, we get that one person to stand and take a picture of us. We're at Disney World. And then we go and we get our cooler and we, we break out our picnic basket and we sit under the sign and we have lunch. And then we load back up in the van and we drive home. You see, like, that is a, a something, that sign pointed to something better to come. We can't look at the church and say it's the end all. No, we're a picture of something better to come in the future. It's just like as we went through the Old Testament for the past year or so, it was a picture, these stories and these people were pictures of a better Jesus and something better to come. And that's the church. The church's mission is to be, to be a signpost of something better to come. You know, and as we interact with one another and we interact with the world, we begin to look different. As the gospel changes us, we begin to look different. We react to situations different. We speak differently because our hearts have been changed from focus on me to focus on him, and we want others to see Christ in us, and we want, to see, we want people to see Christ working in us and through us. We, are, we you and I, are just a small glimpse of something better to come. And see, and then it says that we're also instruments of the good works. This is done through word and deed. You know, Scripture says that how are people going to hear the word if it's not preached? And so we have, to, we have to do our due diligence to preach the good news, to speak the good news into people's lives. But we also have to show people what it looks like. We have to gain face value with people and that will cover in how, in a little bit, of how we do it. But we've got to create face value with folks so that people trust us. That we can show people the good news as well as speak the good news to people. We serve because we were first served. 1 Peter 2.12 says this, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds 
and glorify God on the day of visitation. We are examples of something better to come. Very imperfect examples. But there's something better to come. We are signs and instruments going into the world in the power of the Spirit, making disciples by proclaiming the gospel, calling people to respond in ongoing repentance and faith and demonstrating the truth and the power of the gospel by living under the lordship of Christ for the glory of God and the good of this world. That's what our mission is. That's what you and I, corporately as a church and individually as a person, are called to do. Again, the avenue in which we get to that is different. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Where is our mission? So, we live, everybody believes in coincidence, it seems like. This world that we live in believes in coincidence. Like, huh, that person just coincidentally stumbled into my life. Or, huh, I coincidentally got the job that I had. Or do you believe that things are already planned out and your destiny is already known since the beginning of the foundation of the earth? Acts 17, 26, hopefully this will point you in the direction of proper thinking. And he made from one man every nation, that's Adam, from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Get this. You're not in control. Having, a lot, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwellings. That passage says that it's no coincidence that you live in the time period in which you live in the geographical location in which you reside right now. You are here because God determined it at the beginning of the creation of the universe, God already had planned for you to be where you're at and when you're going to be there. This is no coincidence. And see, this leads us now into the who. We know where, we know what, now we go to who. Who are we on mission to? That goes back to where. It's not coincidental that God puts you in the job that you are in and the family that you are a part of. Your mission is the people around you. But also, sometimes it's other places. Sometimes God puts a people or a culture or a geographical location on your heart. But the mission remains the same. Who you're called to might change, but the mission begins the same, or remains the same. Jesus says in Matthew 25, for I was hungry, and this made me think of James as Eric was saying this, and I got kind of, for I was hungry, you gave me food, and I was thirsty, and you gave me drink, and I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. 
Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. And it made me think of James as we stood there and Eric said that he's going to the least of these, the kids that can't afford the uniforms, that can't afford the education, that don't have the parents, and he's going to those people. And that speaks as much to us, like we go to our neighborhoods, but we need to go to the roughest, scariest people that we can possibly find in those neighborhoods, in those communities, because they deserve to hear the gospel as much as the perfect, quaint, leave it to beaver family. Like, they deserve to hear the gospel. Everybody deserves to hear the gospel as much as the next. So how do we do mission And this might be the most tangible point that hopefully maybe you can take a little bit of it and use it in your life and maybe to think through some ideas of how do we do mission. How we do mission is going to be dependent upon where and who our mission is to. Remember, the mission stays the same. So we do mission in three ways. We do it contextually, relationally, and intentionally. See, contextually means that we match the rhythms of our lives with the rhythms of the lives in which we are on mission to. The people we are trying to reach, we change our rhythms. We don't try to change the rhythms of the people that we're going to. We try to change, we change our rhythms. You know, like in Guatemala, they said, don't wear, don't wear shorts. You know, don't wear shorts. Even the same way in Haiti, they said, you know, don't wear shorts. You need to wear long pants. Hence, I'm wearing long pants, and my wife got on to me because they came out of the bag, and they did not iron. I didn't, she was like, I could have ironed them. And I was like, eh, not worried about it, because I'm a dude. And I don't care. But like contextually, if we were to go as Americans to another culture and they say don't wear shorts and we wear shorts, we've immediately set up a roadblock in front of us. Now we have to jump a hurdle to try to speak the gospel into these people. And they say, eh, they don't really care. And so we change the rhythms of our lives. And you know what? That makes us uncomfortable. And then we have to do it relationally. We've got to form friendships with people. We've got to get to know them. We've got to get to know their family. We've got to have one of those, how's your mom and them kind of relationships. We've got to be able to pour into them. And here's what's going to happen when you begin to form relationships with people. It's going to get real uncomfortable. Because you're going to meet the craziest of crazy people There's a lot of us that are those crazies. We're we're the same. 
And so you're going to have messy conversations, and you're going to have to go back to your wife or your husband, and you're going to have to say, how do we even approach this? How do we go about ministering to this person well? And that leads to the third point of it. We have to do it intentionally. This is the glue to how we do mission. We can only be contextual and relational when we are intentional. It's not going to be easy, and it's going to take a lot of work. And it's going to put stress and strain on you and on your family. And it may hurt bad. And you may get hurt bad. But this leads to our last question. Why do we do mission? We know where we do we know what the mission is. We know where we do mission. We know how we do mission. Now, why do we do mission? And I'm going to read a lot of scripture here. Revelation 7, 9 through 14. And this is John, and he's speaking, and he's had this vision. And he says, After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. Begin painting this picture in your head as we speak and we read through this. Paint this picture in your head. With palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then he goes on in 13, then the one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these? clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? John, he says, I said to them, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. And people kind of interpret this a little differently. One of the interpretations that I feel that I lean more towards is this idea as we come and we live this life in this sinful world, that the day that we stand in the presence of God, we will have these robes washed that were dirty and covered in stains and nasty, and they'll be washed in the blood of Jesus, and they'll be white as snow, and we will stand in the presence of the God of a multitude of people that could not be numbered from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Keep the picture in your head. 
And then we go to the last two chapters of the Bible, and we're going to read all the way through it. Revelation 21. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first earth, or the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more, and I saw a holy city. New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from every eye and death shall be no more. Paint that picture in your head. Death will be no more. There will not be a tear. In any, for the rest of eternity, there will be no pain. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Side note, paint that picture in your head. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowl full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb, the church. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God in its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal, And then we jump ahead to verse 18. The wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jathans, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were the twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the streets of gold were, was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city was no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light, and the lamp is the Lamb. By its light, the nations will walk. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. They will bring into the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean 
ever enter it. Nor anyone who ever does detestable or false what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And we continue to paint this picture and think that this is one day what you and I, believers in Jesus, will see. This is our future glory that we will see one day. And then into Revelation 22, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. There will be no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of the book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But the angel, he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and the prophets. And those who keep the words of this book worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. And outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things. For the churches, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. He who testifies to these things Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with them all. Amen. Why do we do mission? There are billions and billions of people that are going to miss the opportunity to stand in the presence of God. And that in turn leads to hell. And a lot of pastors preach this text and they focus on pieces like verse 8 where they talk about being in hell and being separated from 
God. That should not be the motivations for following King Jesus. As we stood up here and we sung to Jesus, to God, it said God deserves all worship. We go on mission because God deserves all worship and we tell all humanity and all creation that this God deserves all the worship. Because one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and there will be that realization that this God is real. One day, whether you believe or you don't, you will realize that God is real. This is it. So why do we do mission? Because God deserves all the worship and this world needs a savior. And I want to close with this quote from John Piper. He says this. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. And when this age is over, and the countless millions of redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. There will be no use for missions because one day we will all stand in the presence of the living God and we will worship him forever and ever and ever. These missionaries to these K'iche people were so willing to put themselves in such physical discomfort just so that this people group would stand a chance to stand in front of the living God and worship him forever. Will your shoes be worn out when you breathe your last breath? Thank God we have a savior that loved us to his very last breath. Let's pray. God, I don't even know how to pray, but God, I just pray that you would put us on mission. God, whether that's to our neighbors, to our community, or around the world, God, but I pray that you would change our hearts. God, that you would help us to see that you deserve all worship. God, help our motivation to know you not be hell, but, but to be in the presence of you for all of eternity. God, and I pray for those who don't know you in this room, in our community, God, I pray that you would use us, your church, as missionaries, as something better to come to our nation and to our people, to our neighbors. God, use us for your glory. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.